where we subject Gossip Girl very soon, Friday Night Lights, and at the moment, uh, E4's misfits to a level of scrutiny that these shows definitely deserve using the sociology, the experimental psychology, the behavioral economics. I'm Matt Rather. With me, as always, is Ryan Sheely. Hello. Yo, 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 yo. And with us, as usual, on these British shows is from across the pond, it's Timothy Swan. I'm going to miss it when your guys' ridiculous television scheduling takes hold again, you know? Because in Britain, we just have TV, and it's on. It's just on. You have have, have (laughs) socialized I believe we're called Airstrip (laughs) 1. Yeah, it is the the especially with with the the waffles now. It is you know ridiculous to hold things back at all. Uh, the third series of Downton Abbey has shown in Britain, which means that if you have a waffle, it's shown anywhere in the world. Oh, what happens? You, Who dies? What's that? Who dies? Oh, Lady Mary and and Matthew get married. Though it looks like they won't for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so uh for a hot so minute a- amorous, actually amorous amorous suspense dies they do kind of they do kind of gossip girl it though because uh um well hey what the fuck let's just spoil the let's yeah, just do spoil it, do the it. whole thing fuck it. yeah so the um the the drama <laughs> is that the drama is that like it's not exactly the depression but uh uh the um oh what's his name uh lord grantham's uh investments have gone bad it's mm, the it's the twenties mm. now. I think it's only nineteen twenty. But he's made a bad investment in Canadian Railroad or something like that, and so you know they're going to be impoverished. And um, Lavinia's father turns out to have perhaps left Matthew a lot of money because mm. uh, you know he thought they were going to get married, and oh, wow. uh, you know she she died, and uh, the other two heirs uh, that he specified are nowhere to be found. So sort of by default. Kind of as he came into Downton, he's going to come into a shitload of money from, uh, from you know, uh, Spanish flu girl. And uh, he, you know, he gets his panties in a bunch morally about this. Oh, no, I can't, I can't keep the money. I couldn't possibly. I couldn't possibly. Yeah, yeah I couldn't possibly keep it. Um, don't you understand? She thought that I was going to, or he thought that I was going to marry her. Um, so, right, so he's going, to, uh, he's going to give it all away, and Lady Mary finds out that Dad's impoverished and is like, uh, oh, no, you don't, uh, and is going to... <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I love the, the, the lens that we're use, uh, using to analyze uh, the second half of the second series of Misfits is, a, is, is just a blow-by-blow recounting of, of the unaired in America series three of Downton Abbey. Um, this oh, is, no, oh, no, you didn't. This is, this is really our, our finest hour already. <laughs> well, well you, you, you know, I think that the, 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 cl- the class system in Misfits is emergent from that in Downton Abbey. <laughs> oh yeah! Thank you, Tim. This is why we have you here. Thank you. And so they got, I, I, and so I've I, literally I, never watched Downton Abbey. It just has zero appeal to me. I don't get it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure if you're actually British, it has zero zero appeal to you. Oh no, I think like a lot of people are really into it, but it doesn't seem like it's doing anything new, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, there there are better upstairs downstairs historical dramas, right? Like upstairs, downstairs, apparently. <laughs> For example, so yeah, so they. Sorry, I'll finish up quickly. They gossip. They gossip girl it because you know it's uh, Lady Mary takes the least charitable interpretation of Matthew's like hemming and hawing and and you know you're not on our side. Uh, she kind of she kind of moans through her tears and um, you know. <laughs> And then, and then uh, Maggie Smith kind of rolls her eyes at at everybody. Anyway, it's uh, it's not that great. They got they gossip girl a little uh, a little bit. Anyway, but we're here to talk about misfits. Uh, we're going to finish off series two, and let's let's actually preview um, a little bit of what's coming because after this, soon after this, uh, gossip girl is starting soon. We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, 
So we'll be back on a probably uh, every other week, every three weeks Gossip Girl schedule because it's good to gang them up a little bit. And then uh, we'll be alternating with some other stuff, maybe Friday Night Lights. Um, it would be great to return to that. Uh, overthinker Matt Belinky has begun watching Friday Night Lights and actually is right in season two of it. So we might pick up with Belinky, the guy who said that, that Glee... Uh, was badly written and turned out to be right, not at the time and not for the reasons he thought, but uh, <laughs> his, uh, his opinion was borne out eventually. Um, so uh, we'll, be, we'll be back with some Friday Night Lights. And this is, I mean, we're going into, to, Ryan, we were talking about it. We were going into, what, season four of these fucking teenagers? Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we might, uh, we might have some, some grander plans, you know, just in terms of, of uh, looking to the future because this is the last season of Gossip Girl, you know, and we can go on Friday Night Lights, but we sort of binge watch them because they're on Netflix. And so, you can, uh, you know, that's only so many episodes. Um, so, uh, you know, going into the going into the future, there's been some interesting talk about the the uh, going into a little bit of the history of the fucking teenager show. And I mean, I think there are a couple of, of good ones that we could could look at including my favorite uh the first maybe three or four years of dawson's creek uh perhaps my so-called life maybe reaching all the way back to the first beverly hills 90210 right um, yeah yeah because that is i mean that is really the the birth of the the contemporary teen soap opera right i mean there may be other other things but I mean, yeah, not, I, I, not my understanding is that 90210 is really a, 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 a watershed uh, moment in the genre. It's seminal. It's a seminal text. Yeah, it, I would it, I would agree. Uh, I mean, we could even veer towards – I mean, I think it had been suggested, maybe it was in our back channel or in a comment thread, of taking a look at some of Degrassi as well. That actually would be really interesting, wouldn't it? God, we'd have to get those on the waffles, right? I suppose. Are they not – I guess they're not on Netflix, you know, so we so we can look into this anyway. So I this is just an open invitation. This is an RFC. This is a request for comments or a uh, you know uh, a sort of call for submissions for our our peer reviewed journal. Um, well, and I think that part of this idea is is getting at. We had some listener feedback um, a few months ago that was thinking about this idea of what was it of the of of the pure pure teen soap opera was that the the i i don't have the the email in front of me um right now but really i thinking about the the ideal form and the ideal types of of the genre and i think this is uh, as i was saying this is a perfect time to really go back to to brass tacks uh in part because you know the this we are coming to the end of of gossip girl which it was really the the genesis for this uh for this program but i think that we've actually really even just you know grown beyond a a place for us talking about uh gossip girl and so i think that this is you know in in concluding gossip girl it's a time to really look beyond you know look back and and both look and look forward to really think about what is what is the teen soap opera and and really both test the external validity of the toolkit that we've uh, honed uh, through Gossip Girl and the other shows um, and, and then continue to refine the tools and, and continue to kind of push forward with the, uh, the, the larger project. This is the moment in thesis writing where you think you're at the finish line, but then your research project, your whole area just kind of opens up to encompass exponentially more than you, uh, than you thought it would, you know, going right. into it and formulating your sort of research questions at the outset, right? Well, right. It's the part where a, 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 a thesis becomes a, a research agenda, mm-hmm. you see. Yeah. So, uh, so that's I just, I was going to say, I just grabbed the email and kind of one part of it is that it's, not just what is the pure teen drama, but with Gossip Girl, it's dying. That is the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, this is right. It's the end of uh, the the uh, the end of uh, history, as you will, <laughs> <laughs> as, we, as, as we like to talk about it. But let's get into let's get into um, to misfits. Uh, so okay, I I have this to start us off. Um, speaking of seminal texts, I want to to talk about. The relationship of misfits to body fluids, because it seems to me that uh, they play a not insignificant role in this um, in this show. And here's here's just let me kind of ring the changes on this. And here's what I'm thinking: the uh, 
the obvious one is, you know, blood, right? Because it's a horror show and because there are some kind of gory moments where people are, are uh, what, decapitated and disemboweled and sort of gored. So uh, th- there's that. But and this, shot, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is – but this is also the show where, you know, the, the pregnant girl pees on herself, which – totally happens and uh and nathan's response is i i don't care i piss and shit on myself all the time uh and you know they kiss her urine dribbling down onto his feet as well as hers as they you know lock and embrace this is the show uh where i forget what it was someone mentioned uh i don't want to get cum on your dress or something like that yeah 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 yeah. yeah. well vice versa the girls kind of taking agency on that the one that i'm thinking of here is uh nathan said uh once upon a time you know is there any dark secrets in your past once upon a time i tripled myself <laughs> right and they're all like right. what what does it mean to triple yourself um <laughs> to, to i believe what is it to come vomit and something else at the same time Shit, i believe and yes <laughs> oh, right. and defecate uh, <laughs> at the same time well, and then I think the other thing that, and that's in the same episode of of basically where the, the episode where they 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 get big, where they they, they sell out, um, and that's also the the um, the milk nido episode, right? The the with the lactokinesis, which is also about really, um, in some ways, about the manipulation of 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 fluids both in and outside of the body, right? right? And and um, and and. You know, he when it's outside of the when fluids are outside of the body or extra bodily fluids, um, it's a lame party trick. Um, and when they're inside the body, um, it's a it's a deadly weapon. Yeah, right? it's, sin- um, it's yeah, it's sinister and potentially fatal. Right, exactly. And the, um, so, okay, so like, what is this? I mean, what is this doing here? And I I think it's of a piece with the the show's focus on adolescence and the kind of details of you know the kind of details of puberty, the sort of ickier, stickier details of of uh, of puberty, right? Um, but I also think I also think that um, I also think that it marks this show as a comedy generically, right? Because uh, r- rather than Rather than Goss- Gossip Girl, which is not a comedy, right? Uh, which is, well, it's sort of a soap opera, but it's, it's a, a drama, right? Because comedy is always on the side of the body against the mind. And, mm-hmm. and right, so this is, and, and this is, I think, true of, of, um, of, of misfits throughout. And the, the other thing I want to say about it is, though, like, though in this, this final episode, um, this final episode was kind of a one-off, right? Like, every kind of, was it? A, it was a Christmas special, yeah. right? That, yeah. Um... So, okay, fair enough. Yeah, it's a special, right? So it's a one. Maybe it was even exhibited. I actually don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure if we look on the Wikia site from for uh, E4's Misfits, you, we could find out whether it was exhibited, like, uh, you know, not contiguously with the other ones, but as a Christmas special. So, okay. Right. Like, uh, this last one was a one-off, but they, you know, they come into some money from selling their powers and, but it, it never seems like, um, it never seems like they're going to escape poverty, right? They're, they're, going, right. they're not, they're not kicking it up to another kind of level of society. They're going to the J crew. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. Well, it's yeah, it's that they're never moving to wealth, right? They are they are selling their assets rather than, you know, fran- you know, than than leveraging this turning it into capital, right? Um they they are just taking this thing. And and it, 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 there's a few things, right? It, it, it is like a characteristically class based response where uh you know they have this thing so so i'm going to cash it out um and get my um i forget how much it was but like especially like nathan 20, got, yeah twenty thousand pounds or ten thousand pounds or something like this yeah nathan got yeah, especially low grand, balls, but uh, nathan got two grand despite <laughs> immediately before saying i wouldn't settle for less than a million for less than right, a million yeah right, right. uh they they get what they get is excess liquidity yes yeah. Yes. Oh, and the best thing to spend that. that on is a disgusting fur coat. <laughs> right. Well, and right. I love the fact that she walks in and everyone kind of stares at her and then they all say it looks brilliant and sound authentic because I think there is something about, as you say, like the class thing of um, what happens when those with no experience of that level of money get it. 
Um, oh, man. They don't new exactly. Money, new money is the worst, right? Um, well, yeah, it does. I mean, it was making me think back to Downton Abbey, right? That, that as a matter of fact, um, it, that, that this is there, and this is what Tim was saying as well, uh, that there is a direct line between these attitudes um, about new money and um, and and what it means to manage wealth in, in various ways and, and, and kind of good 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 financial stewardship good financial responsibility as a as a mark of of well reading so i and i i mean i'll be interesting to see season three of downton because i imagine one of like the things that this implies you know one of the lord grantham's major roles is to manage the house and so the fact that he made these bad investments in part because this is not this is new world of, of finance and these new instruments and these new things, you know, that it reflects poorly on him, on his, on his lordship, right. On, on his actual ability to manage this estate. Um, and, and I think you see that here as well is that there is not a broader strategic view here for these characters. The, 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 these, this is not wealth. These are, this is just something that's, that's kind of bought and sold. But the system is against them because, uh, Seth has this powerful negotiating position in relation to their poverty. And so he can helpfully go 20 grand for your power. And they're like, great, 20 grand is more money than I have or will ever have. Um, I'll go for it, despite the fact that the objective value of their powers is clearly a lot more than that. And I think this idea of the lack of knowledge in the game that falls on these people who have less money to start with is a real, you know, analogous issue to you know the kind of cash for gold stuff that's going on on all of our high streets uh i don't know if you guys have that as much but you know yeah there's a great south park about uh, there's a great south park episode about the cash for gold racket that ties in this is wonderful actually view of like systemic how how these like large like economic and political systems work uh, that ties together like QVC and cash for gold in this like <laughs> like never ending cycle that like eats its own tail um, over and over again, um, constantly perpetuating itself. Um, it's, it's really it's really fascinating, um, and I think uh, but I think this is really interesting because you know also to come back to like another thing that we've been talking about with um, with with misfits. Is that what it indicates? Is that even though they got powers, they were not empowered by that, right? That mm, that yeah. um, in fact, that even though they had this new thing that that created you know certain types of of new abilities, there was not this meta level. You know, no one, <laughs> you know, no one received the superpower of like uh, you know critical reflexivity. Uh, um, of understanding one's position in socio-political hierarchies, um, and then being able to to radically uh, 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 adapt and and change um, socio-economic forces. Like no, at least we haven't gotten that superpower yet. Maybe that's coming in series three. Huh. Um, <laughs> the like a uh, Gramsci man um, who <laughs> who understands hegemony. <laughs> um, Yeah. Boy, <laughs> hey, come a, on, know. man! That was fucking gold. I'll give you cash. Give me cash. <laughs> <laughs> no less than but, no less than a million. I think yeah, the, uh, the absolute, yeah, so, yeah. The and the, the issue is very you know the this kind of short termism of their decision is huge. And I was thinking about powers as an, an analogy for skills because I was thinking if you go and sell your powers, especially kind of alicia as the first one to do it who doesn't even sell her power she just wants rid of it she gives up something that is of herself in return for freedom and the others do it in return for cash and to what extent have they lost i mean they discover very quickly that actually like life is dangerous and their powers are actually more useful than they would have thought in preventing that but it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to kind of imagine a significance outside of itself or right outside of the economic, uh, uh, what, what Ryan said, not a move to wealth, but a move to sort of cash, right? Um, because it's, you can't sort of give away, you can't give away your skills, right? Um, but but it seems to me that the more the the more interesting metaphor is kind of like turning your back on a part of yourself or kind of denying something Ooh. about denying something about who you are, right? Mm, like for money, yeah, sure. 
So it gets so back to selling out. Back it's from... another dimension of selling out, essentially. Right, yeah. But say people who necessarily step back from their inbuilt creativity because the problem is you've got to live on the estate. And if you're going to live on the estate, the job that is going is working in the bar on the estate or um, picking up litter or giving out leaflets as a Santa. Like, so if their powers are more like their dreams, their creative selves that we all kind of hope to have and nurture, but realistically, their situation means that is not going to happen. Right. Whereas meanwhile, Seth could quite happily spend his time trading powers and cultivate a fine line in, you know, uh, emo poetry. (laughs) Um, Podcasting. I think there's like another, I mean, there's another interesting, going back to what we started with here on the, on the bodily fluids is that I think that there's like this also idea of, um, of that that I think that in some ways you, you, Matt, you mentioned this idea of the the body against the mind um, and, and uh, in misfits and this broader sense of like things being contained or not. And I think that there is, you know, some, one thing that we talked about last week was this nature of like, you know, the, of, of being a misfit. Uh, And I think what, in some ways that, the misfits themselves, these this group of, of of people, are the bodily fluids of society, right? And that that there is this, you know, the relation to the social fabric, to the social body, is similar to these these ill-behaved, um, these these yeah, ill-behaved kind of rebellious, bodily yeah, yeah, sort of rebellious. You know what I mean? They're they're tripling yeah. the system. Exactly, exactly. As I was going to say, every episode they triple the system, like um, <laughs> because like it's like the, every episode they like they kill somebody, like fuck somebody, um, and yeah, and, so, and, and somebody cries. Actually, l- let me s- uh, steer this around to uh, to actually a piece of film criticism, and I was quiet a while there because I was looking. Um, uh, I was looking up this uh, this article, which is, I think, from Film Quarterly. It's by L- Linda Williams and Jordan Stokes, uh, a TFTer, uh, turned me on to this article. It's called um, uh, Gender, Genre, and Excess. And it's a study of three uh, genres of movie, uh, right? And I think that, I, I think that all three... Uh, that um, uh, Misfits has aspects of all three: uh, pornography, horror, and melodrama. Right, and that, uh-huh. and in her kind of typology of these, each of these um, involves a kind of excess that's figured as a bodily excess. So the excess of sex in pornography, the excess of violence in horror, and the excess of emotion in um, in uh, melodrama. And the excess is is shown by um, the sort of the ecsta- ecstatic sex, the ecstatic violence, or the ecstatic emotion, like uh, like ecstatic woe, say, is shown by a uh, a sort of body uh, reaction producing a fluid, right? Uh, by orgasm producing uh, ejaculate, mm. by uh, you know a shudder or a kind of goring of of a body producing a mauling of a body producing blood, and a uh, and a sob, right, producing tears. Um, and, you know, so that and it, it sort of goes there's a kind of psychoanalytic analysis that's that's part of it. But this is an interesting kind of, uh, you know, uh, this is an interesting kind of typology um, to me, like, uh, you know, an excess of sex or an, uh, an ecstasy of sex leading to, uh, you know, leading to semen or to uh, sex fluids. Right. An excess of violence leading to blood and an excess of emotion leading to tears, because all three of those are true of a lot of episodes of uh, of um uh, of of misfits, right? Like the, yeah. the uh, e- even if they do kind of under- undercut the weepy emotional moment, not weepy, but but sort of you know uh, tear to the eye emotional moment of the the you know debased nativity scene, right uh, at the end. Um, I think the show is on the side of the of the nativity scene and not on the side of the the characters shrugging it off afterwards, right? So. Um, so kind of in the in the comic in the comic vision, this show is kind of doing all these kind of perverse uh, you know these perverse kind of erotic and sadomasochistic functions um, of these different genres of movie in one uh, in one 
in one place. And I think that's, that's another reason I think for the focus on the, for the focus on the fluids, or, I mean, it's a, it's another way of describing what, what, uh, Ryan is talking about, talking about with tripling the system. Well, and I think it's interesting because what it's also then doing at a kind of at a genre level is is tripling genre, right? That that it, that it, in fact, or it's like quadrupling, um, or 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 something. It's that you know it is um, horror, melodrama, pornography, comedy, um, and in that way is is it, you know at a certain point it is a teen soap opera, but it, it's also the kind of teen soap opera, soap opera it is is a an amalgam of all of these these genres and and actually I think you know in some ways more than um, any of them and it is very interesting I was um, watching uh, some of uh, the end of series two and actually I had started on series three and was watching it um, while cleaning uh, the apartment with uh, occasional uh, TFT podcast contributor Cognac. Um, and I was like, explaining the various plot lines and characters to her. And as I was doing this, it sounded just ridiculous and terrible um, and quite <laughs> stupid. Um, and yet, as as we were watching it, like it, that did not like open, you know, did did not cause some curtain to just fall down and say, "Oh wait, why am I wasting my time with this?" And then so that, you know, in watching it, in experiencing it, um, I think that it is a very different experience uh, experience than kind of describing it to someone. Um, and I think the comedic elements. Um, as well as some of the other stylistic elements, um, make that work very well. And I, it's, it's, it's very interesting that, that it really it, it quadruples or quintuples itself um, and, and, <laughs> and, and really works uh, because of that. Uh, and you know, if, it, if it stopped at, at doubling or tripling itself, it, it would not nearly be as successful. Yeah, I was just thinking if you got to quintuple, whether you could use one of each of the Asbo Five as an analogy, but then I realized it would just be really forcing it. You know, because Nathan is the comedian, and I guess Alicia is, by definition, the pornography, but then I got a bit kind of stuck. Well, I think that, um, I guess the other piece of genre is superhero fiction, which is kind of... um uh is is simon as well well yeah uh, who basically if they listen to simon talking about comic books and kind of yeah superhero stuff they would do a lot better most of the time it does seem like for their life pop culture prepares would prepare them really well right but because they're unwilling to listen to him about superman 2 um they get in a lot of trouble <laughs> which encourages me because it means that if i ever am ever in mortal peril i can just think about what a superhero will do and that'll be fine Exactly. All of your like overthinking it type skills are really uh, self-help, right? <laughs> when the zombie apocalypse comes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, it's, it's the how-to for all of, all of, all of the various uh, situations that you encounter. So mm. Kelly fucks a monkey. <laughs> I think there's lots about sex in these three episodes that is interesting. The, yeah, the monkey I thought was interesting, um, but let's not talk about that. No, um, the uh, I I was thinking very specifically about the kind of initial sex scene where she says something like, "I'm." Does she say like, "I'm not a slut" or "I'm not a slag," something like that? And then they proceed to have sex in like what I would call relatively non-intimate positions. I was trying to think about the symbolism of it and whether there is symbolism because he kind of loses it when he's well, having yeah, sex. Yeah, they were doing it like they do on the Discovery Channel, right? Yeah, yeah which I suppose is foreshadowing more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, but well, they, they were doing the kind of stuff that only Prince would sing about. <laughs> you know, I did wonder whether there's a, a lot of the sex on this show is very animalistic. So the fact that there is a bit that involves a gorilla, not a monkey, as Nathan is quick to point out, because <laughs> uh, he's one of those guys, um, you know, maybe does say something about the way that just the teen sexuality is in this show. Um, but then, like, there's a lot, like in episode seven, the Christmas special, about how just how rubbish their knowledge about sex and kind of that is kind of hilarious <laughs> to the point of 
the kind of culmination of the show of Nathan stamping on a placenta until everyone is splattered in blood and placenta juice. Well, I think it's it's very interesting because I think the beginning of that arc when he first um, meets uh, meets the the pregnant girl. The, the, the thing that he is that knowledgeable about, and they are both knowledgeable about, is the the um, arc of a romantic comedy, right? To bring in another genre, right? They say, like, you know, we could go and get a drink, you know, we could, you know, and then we would we would talk, we would get together, and they, they map out this whole dramatic arc of a relationship, right? Uh, and then she says, "But I can't, I can't drink. I'm pregnant." And they're like, "Well, then we better just fuck." Um, and it is it's really interesting because it's like they know these, and this, this is a thing that comes um you know back again and again in different ways um in in misfits is that these characters know their pop culture very well they know the various scripts associated with these um genres but yet that doesn't necessarily that doesn't really provide the guide when it's important like they 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 know about romantic narratives but not really about the narrative of of uh of biology right the 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 genre the genre they don't know is like reproductive biology (laughs) um textbook sex sex education lesson yeah because that is an academic thing and their knowledge is not ever kind of going in that direction um now, even though they're very astute scholars of of kind of these the, of, of of the various genre tropes, um, which is, is very interesting. So it's yeah. very much about doing what you. It's very pragmatic in a way, right? That um, it's very much like user knowledge, um, applied applied knowledge. Um, and again, I, I, I think about that, you know, c- contrasting the the Kelly uh, gorilla sex with the, um, the the pregnancy sex is that you know that was also very pragmatic right that it, it, it's like a very about like solving an that whole sex series about solving an immediate problem um, and 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 so it it, it kind of resolve, results in a kind of convergent uh, evolution with um, with with Kelly's uh, scene. But, it, but but due to solving different kinds of problems or through different pathways, um, and that, I think it's it's very interesting, right? So that um, I'm trying to think if there are any counter examples. Well, uh, I was wondering about uh, Simon and Jessica, but I remember their scene being a lot less clear. I suppose. Um, yeah, it wasn't in the set, right? It wasn't at the same level of explicitness of sort of grabby, fumbly explicitness, right? And then I suppose you're left. You're left with. I guess you've got uh, uh, Curtis and Nikki, which is quite. I was going to say vigorous. I think vigorous is the best word for it. What in the ba- in the bathroom where she teleports out of the stall? Oh no, I wasn't thinking of that one. I was thinking of the one where they've. It's immediately after his flash forward. Essentially, his flash yeah, yeah. forward comes true, and they are like on a sofa on the rooftop. Uh, and then Alicia turns up and is like, oh, okay then. Well, I think it's interesting. There's, I don't know if this is a, a important, but in the way that like the sex is portrayed in this show, right? There's, I think, three types of sex scenes that, I, that I've seen in this show, right? There's the, the, the sex scenes where you kind of see the, like the, maybe the beginning and the end, right? So this is, this is kind of the Simon, um, the Simon sex scene, where you you know that it happened, but you don't really see a lot of the of the act, right? Then there is the kind of coitus interruptus, which is like the the um, the the Curtis scene is an example of, and then there's the kind of the long play that, that is like a, either a montage um, or uh, is usually a montage uh, or long scene of of a much longer play of the, of the entire act. And I don't know if there's a, a you know a meaning in when each one is used, right? I, I know that my sense is that some of the ones that are more long, I mean, both the um, I think the Kelly scene falls into this, and actually from series one, the uh, "fuck me, granny" um, uh, scene also is is much more um, played out. And so I don't know if that has to do with capturing like, and those are both narratives that had to do with with. Um, with with sort of transformation, and I, I had sex with that, um, right. and and I don't know if that that kind of long play is important there. I was going to say Whereas, my instant reaction is that it's an external rather than internal to the story reason, just based on what the actors and actresses are willing to do. But uh, yeah, that's that's possibly that's uh, that's because I'm trying to think if there are any examples. If you think about it, kind of 
intra-actor, basically, because Curtis right. and Alicia seem to have kind of extended sex scenes, but Simon, he has sex with Alicia in one of these mm. episodes and, and that's, that's much more really in a cutaway shown. style so it's clearly kind of. more like that you know if if you were to watch him having sex he would have to take one of your fingers um <laughs> yeah yeah no no that i think that that does make sense i mean this is that this is difficult i mean i guess that's the interesting thing the the well that, that is interesting i would lo- love to watch the simon scenes more carefully to see if this is an <laughs> actor thing or a um or or a character thing because i think that in some ways right so sometimes it would be hard to say to disentangle um is this a a policy of the actor or is this something that was you know a a style that makes sense for this character and 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 where this character is narratively um and thematically and i think what's interesting is that um the the Simon character um, has a little bit of a um, it gives you a little bit of leverage to 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 unpack this because the character there really are the two Simons right and uh, and 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 you're at least I think in the, seeing the process of the change and I think you do see more of the of the sex scene with uh, Alicia of like the second sex scene with Alicia than with um then then his first time of 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 boning um, yes yes no i was just thinking that the kind of contradiction to my thought on that right uh, right, right. So, so this does give a little his, bit of leverage lesson from uh, nathan yeah yeah uh, yeah which is just i thought that was an interesting bit about kind of intermale sexual discussion part of their ignorance and part of the fact that simon just feels so awkward about things you know he's already kind of talked about the issue of virginity in uh, episode five um you know because obviously him both him and jessica are virgins at that point um that um you know his his kind of his, the only person he can go and talk to is nathan and he's the last person who you would pick if you actually had anyone else to pick although why he doesn't go and see curtis i'm not quite sure i think maybe because nathan is just like a little more sympathetic towards him and to say um you know, well, this happened and that's something I'm struggling with. Like, men don't talk. Or at least adolescent men and young men don't talk that way to each other, it seems. Right, right. Well, well, I don't know. That's an interesting question. So that, do you, and so what do you think that they are, so this is just, is, is the explanation is just like they needed to have a conversation so they put that in? Or are they putting something else onto that dynamic like actually a more older male dynamic or or a more female dynamic um i I think they kind of they just need to illustrate how no one is going to be able to help simon how useless mm -hmm. anyone is he is just stuck in the awkward phase and that's i guess part of being a teenager but he you know goes to the person who he thinks might help him best who tells him something about fisherman's friend that now means that i'm never going to eat those you know just because of the weirdness of a thought <laughs> um you know um that um why are why are they the fisherman's friend i mean i guess because they you know your your throat gets chapped out on those fishing boats so, something like that i i should know they aren't like a thing that they used to sell like on the top front counter of pharmacies more than in sweet shops and stuff like that and they are very strong smelling uh but i've never tasted one uh-huh. There, I, I've used them. They're um, they for for the intended purpose, um, <laughs> not for not for the off-label use. No, yeah, exactly for the, the yeah for the that. Secret. You use pop rocks, obviously. Everyone knows that <laughs> pop rocks and chloroseptic. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, that's uh, what? No, 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 all I get is dead air there. Like, I guess, like, Fisherman's Friend made me think of what, what, like, I currently, what, what, what throat lozenges. I've had lots of colds. So we have chloroseptic, Halls, uh, vitamin C. Um, Not sucrets. When I need a lozenge, I go for the sucrets myself for the anesthetic. 
Um, I didn't, I, I, I like, I, of course, I think, and strepsils, you know, like, I actually, Tim, you'll appreciate this. I'm a big strepsils fan because I got into strepsils, uh, in, 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 uh, in, in the former British colonies in which I, in which I do field work. And I, I feel like none of the American, um, anesthetic, uh, throat, th- throat drops <laughs> really hit the level of strepsils. I'm very serious. I love strepsils. Shall, shall, shall I write to strepsils head office, which presumably is in London? <laughs> You should, especially in the black currant fl- flavor. You don't really get any black currant flavored uh, things here in the U.S. Also, anything, oh, yeah, it's very hard to find black currant anything. Similarly, Ribena. Oh, Ribena, wonderful, wonderful product. I, I couldn't live without black currant jam. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. Well, while we're while we're down this rabbit hole, I have uh, in front of me a, a tin of of nippets. Simpkins nippets, the uh, licorice little licorice pellets. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, clarifies the voice and clears the throat so if i sound especially sonorous today you know <laughs> it's because i've been sucking on nippets <laughs> I, I, and actually you know and the reason that matt sucks on uh, nippets is that we had a man-to-man conversation some time ago uh, and he said listen you know i i need to i feel like my voice sounds a little chapped and, and anemic uh, on the podcast, I'm like, oh, Matt, you just got to suck on a nippet. Um, and it helps. Well, so to circle back to this, here's the thing that I, this is interesting. When I thought, when, when we, I, you see Simon going to Nathan for this advice, I mean, what you believe is that this will then go badly. But it doesn't seem yeah. to go badly. But I don't think, I don't think he heeds the advice. It's, it's ambiguous. Um, but I think that, I, I don't think the message here is that, you know, fish, fisherman's friend, it works. Um, I, I, I think it, it is much more something that, that Tim was saying, that he, he figures it out itself. He, he takes what is valid um, in, in, in Nathan's advice, which is um, um, look, out, look out for her interests, um, but, and dispenses that which is extraneous, which is use fisherman's friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which I suppose shows that he, is strepsils black current, and that is similarly the reason because he can apply himself both to the problem of sex with Alicia and to the issue of hey, how are we going to stop this crazed pseudo cult leader messiah guy? Uh, except that he does fall for his like own weakness, which happens to be believing uh, the woman he loves what she says about him from the future, which you know I expect we'd all be a bit vulnerable to. Yeah, I think that I mean this bringing up Jesus, um, and it's it's interesting. I, it, obviously, you you see this because I, I I do read the Jesus episode more as this the the um. But so the way that is that yeah that's the finale episode. Um, and so it's interesting that in both of the two um, series uh, finales, the season finales. Um, that you have these these fascists, right? <laughs> there's, these, there's some kind of a, a threat, uh, a, 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 a charismatic leader of some kind uh, using yeah. powers and bringing people together and, and informing some kind of conformity. I mean, is this a, a rehash of the of, of the the of you could do so much better? Or is it like an inverse of it? I mean, um, you know, is this? A, I, I'm interested to see if we get anything any new territory from this being jesus or whether this is like just another um another version of of the same thing well he's bringing somewhat more hope to the people than she was just kind of compelling them Mm -hmm. um but was not really corrupt herself whereas he is kind of obviously corrupt and kind of cynical and faithless right Um, right and, you know, is a standard cult leader in that he, you know, wants control, money and sex from his followers. Right. And yet, you know, the trouble is on these estates is, well, what else should you hope for apart from miraculous change? And when someone shows you an authentic miracle, you know, barring the obvious suspicion about the fact that he wants all your money it's probably nice to have some hope and some community because he brings a community together. Suddenly the community center isn't just full of misfits for once. Yeah. Well, the, the, um, not anymore. You know, they're more fitting than usual at least. The, the yeah. Lady Sybil, you know, all she wanted you to do was re-virginize yourself. 
Right, right, right. Exactly. I think that's that's right. And I guess that's, that's interesting is that her threat was conformity more than right. and it was it and was control threat, plus conformity and his threat is is fraud more or less right like yeah but also the megalomania of more and more powers that he has got a method and because seth doesn't really care uh, about you know what he does with selling the powers and quite happily sells courtesies to a, a jew who says he's going to go back and kill hitler spoiler warning he tries it doesn't go well um you know that um so wait, this he, this comes back right this, this uh, i think I've, I've read this in wikipedia like this is not just like a thing that gets mentioned and, and dropped like this oh, is no. actually becomes a, a brilliant a, episode a, that i hope we have a chance to discuss you know next season or whatever because i really like it um even though yeah, it, there's, I, I, I do want to because i haven't gotten that far but there's also Culture. We also then need to talk about Curtis's new power in a future episode of. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Let, let's the, let's be popular on Tumblr and talk about gender identity. <laughs> exactly, um, and and but yeah, I think I think this is, is very interesting. I mean, the other piece of of Seth and Jesus' interaction is that there's an interesting. I mean, it is interesting that what you do get in this um, these season finales are. You know these these master classes on who who you ought not trust, right? And 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 um, you know in season one and with Lady Sybil, it's it's sort of it's conformists. Uh, it's 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 sort of people who are enforcing some type of moral standard. And I think that is not just religion, um, but as you pointed out, that that sets central role here. It's that there's this nexus between the market. And 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 a theocratic state, right? Like, and the, the, and that they are they're in lockstep, and they're both, um, and, and they're they're reinforcing each other, uh, in in uh, in ways that are that are extremely destructive, um, and that there's there's this kind of, you know, disembedded morality, and uh, you know, that you have a. Uh, a, a church that gets linked away from all the moral side of the church, and then that linked to an amoral, like capitalist, um, spirals out of out of control. Um, and yet, similarly, the in, in Lady Sybil, the uh, um, kind of rules without reasons, or the the, the the moral compulsion without you know the 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 you ought to do this without it being internalized is also bad. Um, I mean, I guess this, this, as I'm, I'm saying this, I mean, well, I know I think in one of our earlier um, episodes uh, 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 on misfits, we, we talked about uh, morality, and so the question is that, given that they are criticizing, you know, both of these potential modes of uh, morality or both of these potential sources of 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 of, of ethics and, and and ways to live a good life. What, is there an ethical code in, in Misfits? Is there a way that one ought to live? Well, I think they pretty clearly say that they don't have that because there's this bit where, you know, that one of them, I can't remember who is claiming, I think Nathan's claiming, you know, oh, well, we may be bad, but we never raped or murdered anyone. And it's very quickly pointed <laughs> out by Nathan, not Nathan, um, Curtis, sorry, his actor is Nathan, that's confusing. Um, by Curtis, you know, Alicia raped me and we've murdered at least three people by now. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. and uh, Nathan is just like, but we're the good guys. Right, 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 right. So really, it's just the fact that they have the kind of protagonist focus, really. But it does seem like, mm, mm, but mm. by the fact of their charmingness and their likability that uh, the misfits get away with it in the eyes of the audience. They still seem vaguely on the side of goodness. But then there's some kind of an egoism there, right? It's, that it's like, because I'm me, this is okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, 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 and it could be, it's, it's almost a somewhat egocentric and somewhat communitarian. And that like, you know, well, like with the, the raping and the, and, and the killing, like, well, we didn't kill... It's it's like something like well we did all right by us like th- th- there's some kind of like very like 
like situational relativism. I was about like, to, I was about to say exactly that. It's existential, right? The idea is that we're always human beings in situation and that no sort of no code abstracted from the actual circumstances of, you know, boots on the ground and whatnot, right? Like yeah. no no code is adequate to the the uh you know, extremely very uh, kinds of situations that 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 uh, you know our heroes find themselves in. Well, and it's also self, like it's 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 this, it's this like positive feedback loop. It's like because they did that, it was the right choice, right? <laughs> it was they're always already moral, like um, <laughs> and 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 because they are the protagonists. Um, I mean, I think that it plays with this. Um, there's this. There's this. You know, tension is that they are very clearly the protagonists. So their choices are generally, like, even if they may be strategically wrong, eventually they are the right decisions because they did them. And there's, I think, a tendency for, you know, I, I, I don't know, Tim, if you know if there's any, like, psychological theory on this, of a tendency to, you know, rationalize and, and you know, the thing that you did is the right thing. And to re- reconfigure, you know, an understanding of events so that. It, it all works together of I did, this was these were the right choices because these were the choices I made um, I was going to say I'm not sure about rightness uh, uh, my knowledge of the psychology of morality isn't especially strong but certainly to do with just like the attribution of cause the healthiest mm. thing to do is to always attribute things outside of your own control um, mm. Mm. and but temporary at least for the kind of bad things that happen things that are temporary um, and situational and um, short-lived or short-lived, I suppose I should say. Um, so, you know, when it's something, you know, when they kill someone, they're like, oh, well, that's just the sort of thing that occasionally happens to us. We had a bad day and someone died and it certainly wasn't our fault and we couldn't have really stopped it happening, so we better just move on. And when they save the day, it's like, yes, we're using our powers for good. And that's like the road to having kind of an attribution that leads out of anxiety and depression. Um, not that you can do it all that willfully that easily, but, um, and I guess with morality, it probably fits in the same way. Well, the bad things you do, well, that was, you know, the uncontrollable part of you. Um, right. And right, so you're, exactly. you're straying towards Jungianism. So I, I can't really help you in that territory. Uh, I, the only thing I know about morality is that if you uh, wash your hands or have a shower or something, you become more judgmental because the symbolic act of physical purity leads to a sense of moral purity that leads you to judge people. But that's the so only thing you, I know about morality. If you, so if but you maybe, triple yourself, if you triple yes, yourself, then you become can... like more accepting and like ah. understanding and, and empathetic. Um. <laughs> yes, I guess so. <laughs> That's, that's, that's yeah. It, when 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 the actual Jesus comes back, that's going to be his formula for world peace. Tripling, yeah, uh, just a group a group triple, <laughs> a global triple, if you will. Well, you know, we'd all see the kind of common humanity of everyone, wouldn't we? Um. <laughs> yeah. No, I was trying. I was trying to work. Tri- I, I mean, I, I was quiet because I was trying to work tripling into into a Bible. Uh, a Bible verse, um, but all, all I could really come up with was Jesus tripled, um, <laughs> which is the only Bible verse I know by. Um, yeah, that's a, that is one of the three bodily food, right? Jesus wept. Um, so, yeah, uh, are you saying are you saying essentially that the Gospels have an excess of melodrama? <laughs> yes, um, and 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 of uh, and and horror. of horror, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, tri- that's triple not yeah. lest lest ye be be tripled. <laughs> um, yeah, no, exactly. I think that's very interesting. I mean, it's interesting. I want to, you know, my tendency on the morality discussion, I think I was, um, uh, part of what led me to that is that, I mean, I think it's a, a thing you see in a, a lot of shows. The other show that I've been very deep in that's not really, not a TFT show at all, um, is, is Breaking Bad. And I think Breaking Bad is an exemplar of this also, of, of the ways, playing with this idea both of how um, an individual um, can delude themselves and and um, and I think this this tendency or this this, this challenge where it, you know in some ways very fundamentally playing with our understanding of um, you know I, I think there's a tendency of 
if you have a main character, that that person must be a protagonist rather than some other kind of... <laughs> it must be a protagonist. It must be then morally right, as opposed to having much more morally ambiguous heroes, more um, tragic uh, heroes. And I, and I think there's other examples of this. I mean, I've, I've actually still not yet watched The Shield, but I understand that Vic Mackey is also... Um, rather uh, um, uh, morally ambiguous. But I think Walt White is an interesting, uh, like, you know, plays with this tension as well of identity, of the tendency to identify with um, a character and thus, you know, impute certain kinds of morality um, and and yet, um, you know, see them do morally repugnant things again and again. And I think that, this, so it's really interesting playing with this, these situational uh, aspects that aggregate and don't aggregate in a different way and, and, and thus, you know, have different uh, implications for the moral morality of the character and, and then how they act, right? So you have these relationships between morality and action, which I think is... is I mean, very- there's a point when such characters become almost Brechtian, I think. Um, I think of when you talk about that sort of, they get away with it because they're the protagonist of a show like Dexter, um, the TV show and the book's you know they're very clear he is charming there's a reason he's charming he's a psychopath and he is doing horrible things but hey he has some kind of moral code and hey he's the one telling the story so you're gonna like him and you're gonna root for him and i think it's deliberately trying to throw at your face every time oh right you'll you'll happily let him do this right we're gonna take it up to the next level we'll happily let him you'll happily let him do this and this and this and i think misfits is similar and so when you get moments when you are genuinely sympathising with the Asbo Five, like at the end of the Christmas episode, oh, isn't it charming? They all sang a song around the nativity. And hey, there's a faux nativity going on because there was a pregnant girl in a Christmas episode. Can't think how that's going to end. Um, they uh, they um, get to the bit with the placenta stamping, which I think is deliberately designed to go, nope, these guys are the guys who would stamp on a placenta. You thought you liked these guys. They're the kind of guys who would stamp on a placenta. I know, just, just when they have a genuinely heartwarming moment, um, they, they, they stamp on the placenta. Well, and that's wonderful also, because that also fits within, talk about the genre conventions, um, that there is, and I, and, and I don't know this as well, because I think it's the, the Christmas special is not as, as uh, enshrined uh, in, in American TV uh, culture, uh, as as it is in my understanding of how it is in the in the the UK, and Tim, you can correct me about this. But so there is there are certain tropes that you know happen throughout this episode of the playing of Christmas songs, certain Christmas related um, themes and plot lines, um, and this kind of big group scene. And so it's also in addition to being this, this statement about you know, that, that fits thematically with the show. It's also this meta statement about it's, you know, the show's understanding and then kind of literal stomping on genre conventions, right? In some ways, yeah. like by stomping on the, the, the afterbirth, by stomping on the placenta, they're also saying, ha ha, like, like, how do you, it's like, I, I just love, it's, you know, they're just like waving the middle finger around and kind of gleefully, you know, spraying the audience with irreverence. <laughs> Um, and, and, and it was quite cool. It was quite fitting. I mean, it's the kind of thing that makes the show work very well, um, by, by setting up these, these, these tensions in, in, with, you know, enough knowingness. Well, yeah, which I think you do get, I don't know if any of you guys managed to catch the special kind of finale segment of what happens to Nathan, who isn't in it anymore. No, I've not seen that. Yeah. So I, okay. I it's weird cause I started watching, um, season uh, series three and he's just gone and they just they they basically they replace him with a with a um stand-in that's not quite as good um yeah in terms the, of, the of actor what he does. himself is brilliant in other shows but he's just just you know because he's trying to do the same sort of shtick here it doesn't quite kind of work out um but like the development with the dual personality does go some way to make him a more interesting character because his power is more interesting whereas immortality doesn't really kind of lead to that many issues but yeah so they all go back to um seth and they get new powers which are respectively i was trying to remember them uh, anyway nathan become becomes a literal magician anything that a magician can do he can do spontaneously by his powers <laughs> and so he goes to uh, las vegas and so he can do something you know like spontaneously moving 
chips from place to place, but just by magic. Essentially, he can make a rose appear in his hand. Uh, so he goes to a craps table and is winning, you know, roll after roll after roll by manipulating just, the, you know, the dice. Um, but uh, unfortunately, his lack of education gets the better of him because on his final roll where he's gone all in, he's going to take away the jackpot. He uh, calls for an 11, rolls it, and he says, great, four and seven, that's an 11. Um, and he's magically made the dice develop an extra spot and so is caught and has to run uh it's worth watching vegas baby it doesn't really say anything that useful you know about teens um except that it is doing that same subverting thing because you know oh nathan he's so charming and cunning and he's got magic powers now and of course it avails him nothing that's very Um, interesting and was this a webisode or where 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 does one find vegas baby it it was online, a webisode of sorts. So it's all on like the Channel Four Four OD page for British people. I have no idea how you can legally or safely access it, um, but it's out if there. If only there were a website. Waffles. Exactly. I'm just. We should, hungry like, for we should have a now. soundboard. We should have like a, a TFT soundboard with various <laughs> with various I, things I've, that we hit yeah. like a drive time radio show. <laughs> let let me assure you. Don't introduce a soundboard. My co-host on Psychomedia introduced a soundboard. First set of music is the music from the films of Ron Jeremy. And it turns out that those are applicable after pretty much any sentence and recontextualize it. And that that slows down the podcast. <laughs> I mean, did you really think I was suggesting a, a, a soundboard to add value? <laughs> <laughs> That is not how we. Uh, that is not how we roll. We uh, alienate and confound the audience. We hope that you've enjoyed uh, our summer school, alienating and confounding you through the medium of E4's misfits. Uh, just as E4 represents a, a sluice of shit uh, directed uh, right into your house by your own choice, so too does this podcast represent a sluice well, we've, of... We've, we've tripled you all summer long, really. <laughs> of yep. triple fluids that you direct... Ooh, ooh, ooh. Bagsy the nice fluid. Which one is that? <laughs> that's you know, uh, three of us. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's oral sex spelled A-U. So... <laughs> I, I definitely think Matt's the seminal um, one of of the three of us. Uh, well, I guess I, I, I probably I, poop. I, I was going to say I'm probably vomit because I'm the one who's much less usual. Yeah, you know, yeah, I you guess, guys are the yeah. regular functions. I, I think so. I think this works. Yeah, I think we've we figured it out. Special occasions. You're very yeah. You're very ki- you're very kind to assume that that you know seminal fluid is a regular thing. <laughs> 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 in my household no uh i love you honey um <laughs> you're very also, kind to assume that poop is a regular thing in my household <laughs> ryan has a, par- yeah, a parasite yeah, ryan has, a, has a parasite that eats up all of his nutrition um all right so uh you probably uh i'm not quite sure what we're gonna do for the next couple of weeks we're definitely coming back soon with um we're definitely coming back soon with Gossip Girl once that is on the air. We might try to do a little Friday Night Lights with Belinky uh, next time, um, between now and then. Uh, in the meantime, we'd love to hear your comments about uh, how we should get into the, into the fucking teenager. Just how, how we should <laughs> penetrate the area, uh, the subject area of the pure fucking teenager. Um, in its most uh, uh, nubile, its most uh, unsullied, its de- deweyest and, you know, smoothest form uh, of the idea of, uh, of the fucking teenager. So uh, leave that in the comments on the show notes for this episode or email TFT podcast at overthinkingit.com. You can uh, follow the These Fucking Teenagers uh, Facebook page on Facebook. I see we have some, uh, some new people who have liked the Facebook page. Thank you for doing that. And you can follow TFT podcast on Twitter, which Ryan and I get around to Twittering uh, at every now and again. Um, Yes, and you can call or text twenty fat jog zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. But none of you ever do. I thought you fucking teenagers and you're texting. I thought you were always texting everything all the time. We should do some demographic surveying because I would like to know 
How, many, how much of our listenership is, is old guys like us? I was going to say, zero teenagers. I will uh, bet you plenty of money. Zero teenagers. Yeah, I guess, I guess what we have to say is not actually funny if you are in the stage of life that we are um, that we I are don't feel about. that distance from being a teenager, you know? And, and you find this show useless as well. well <laughs> it seems to me... Um, yeah, I mean, it It seems to me, I, I see, because I would wonder if any of the kind of the the, the uh, analytical tools or sort of the rubrics we've been developing are actually uh, useful in navigating um, actual adolescence or whether they just get you beat up on the playground. I, I would suggest that I found like a 13-year-old and gave them the archive and s- saw how it helped over the course of their life, you know, like a, a longitudinal case study. But I have a feeling that there are rules against that. Yeah, that would yeah, never... I was just going to say. <laughs> this this is a hard R. It's probably an NC-17, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Just get, get, get your human subjects approval first, and then there's once once you have an IRB approval, there is no there are no... All ethical dilemmas are resolved, right? That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> as long as there's a bureaucratic stamp, like then you are in you're in the right. <laughs> yeah. I uh Oh wow. Sorry. I, 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 I want to detour and talk about the film Compliance, which I've seen recently, which is about kind of a cross between the Stanford Prison Experiment and the Milgram experiment played out uh in a Midwestern fast food restaurant. Ooh, sounds oh, sounds wow. interesting. Where a guy, a, uh, a guy claiming to be a police officer, calls a manager and says, "Hey, you know that cute, uh, that cute, you know, nineteen-year-old blonde um, cashier you got working? Uh, I have a witness here uh, claiming she stole uh, some money. We need you to to take her into the manager's office, detain her, strip search her, and it just gets worse from there. Uh, right. People doing exactly what this this voice says uh, because he claims to be a police officer, and it gets." Pretty dark. Well, if you wanted a teen perspective on that, have you seen Divella, The Wave? I have not. A German. It's a German fictional version of a true American high school experiment. Uh, they created this kind of political ideology of Divella with a hand gesture, oh, which is like yeah. like a brief hand dolphin. But of course, it all ends with uh, the fact that, hey, guys, this was just what the Nazis did. But it's amazing. Um, it's really good. Um, but it involves teenagers coming to terms with proto-fascism, so it's good. <laughs> the um, uh, yeah, and hey, maybe we can get maybe we can get that uh, on the um, on uh, on one of our shows coming up, and and battle royale also, if you uh, yeah, you know. Uh, Battle Royale is definitely on Netflix now. Right. So um, it could be these fucking teenagers, these killing teenagers, or these sobbing teenagers, right? Yeah. As long as there's, uh, as long as there's these tripling teenagers, that's where we are. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As long as there's (laughs) excess. So uh, we'll be back. uh, Gossip Cool very soon. We're excited about it. We're going to talk to you about tripling. We're going to talk to you uh, about, about an excess of shit. We're going to talk to you about an excess of seminal fluid. We're going to talk to you about an excess of blood and of vomit, uh, an excess of eye smegma and an excess of comments relative to the overthinking here podcast i know yeah we, we beat them <laughs> Boom, and go. most of all <laughs> an excess of these, these fucking, fucking teenagers, teenagers.